Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Good Trash Genrecast, uh, where we talk about the films that you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is Carl Franklin's Devil in a Blue Dress, starring one Denzel Washington who has never made an appearance on, on this program, which, which is a is fucking insane to me. That I I can't even believe that that's possible because we talk about Denzel so much on this show that I just assumed yeah. we had done one before. Well, it's just like he's here in spirit. Yeah. I, with us, I don't. I can't believe. I think well, Denzel I, is always with you in your heart. If that's if you if you ask him, to Denzel come in. playing Denzel hanging out with podcasters. Yeah. Oh my God, please. So anyway, we are rectifying that, and there'll be further rectification to be addressed later on in the show. So stay tuned for that information, dear listener. However, uh, we want to identify the disembodied voices speaking directly into your brain. This week, we are uh, graced and blessed with the presence of the ethereal Sasquatch himself. Could you please introduce yourself? I am Arthur Gordon, and if you ain't want him killed, why'd you leave him with me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very, very good. Thank you very much for that, sir. To my left, who are you? Hello, everyone. My name is Dalton Stewart, and somebody once told me that you step out your door in the morning, you're already in trouble. And the only question is, you want to be on top of that trouble or not? Very, very good. My name is Dustin Sells, and that marble countertop, countertop your dad is about to get it back. Uh, and I am so glad to be uh, talking with you all about... Uh, Man, there are some good lines in this there, movie. There are. There really are. It's well written. It, um, Carl, Carl, Carl Franklin wrote the shit. I was going to go with... Uh, I wanted to go with... Uh, it's uh, it's 2017 and it's hot outside. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So here we are. We're doing this thing that we do, that we always do, but you may not know what we do because this may be the first time you've tuned into this particular podcasting program. And as such, we want to give you a brief warning. This is not a review show. No, no, no. Nay, nary, no. It is an analysis show. And that means that we are going to spoil, which is a big deal, I think, in a film noir. We're going to talk uh, yeah, about no, I think, the I, solution I think, yeah. to It, it is kind of a, a plot-heavy genre. But we are going to avoid Spoiler Ridge in the initial. So what we'll do is we'll have a uh, quick synopsis. We're going to go ahead and stick with the voice, the Dalton Theater. Oh, yeah, for well, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, oh, have I? I it's it's officially my position. It's, it's the position. Well, we my might, God, we might alternate. You know, Arthur, come back, come back. Yeah, no, um, we're it's, gonna... it's so good to have you. By the way, it's it's been you know mostly just me and Dustin these days. So it's 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 always fun to have somebody else in the mix. What I'm going to do is break a pool cue in half. I'm going to throw it on the ground and tell you we're having tryouts. I'm just going to leave the room. And <laughs> whoever, spoiler alert: whoever's <laughs> next week, me and Arthur Gordon will discuss. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but we'll have that synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater this week. Then we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be spoiler free. From there, we will move into our gameplay, which might involve a mild spoiler of the film or other films in question. And then finally, we will get down to business. We'll give you a little musical cue to know that that has happened. And then all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. So without any further ado. Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater. Let's hear that synopsis. An African-American man is hired to find a woman and gets mixed up in a murderous political scandal. Yeah, yeah. that nails it. That nails it. Don't, don't nod in approval when he does that, though, Arthur. Don't, don't do that. It made me feel really good. Don't, don't, that's, we don't need that. I'm sorry. It's okay. Someone's got to give him some courage and encouragement around here. Why? Oh, look at him. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so there you go. That is the thing that happens in the course of the film. And we will discuss less of the course of the film at this point. But we will discuss the film, of course, in so much as we um, enjoyed it or did not enjoy said filmmaking or film watching experience. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Do you like uh, Devil in a Blue Dress? Yeah, man. It was really good. Uh, I've been wanting to catch up with this for a while. Um, it was just kind of the impetus for talking about it. And, man, what a good movie. Um Early on, I, one of the things I noticed, um, despite it being decidedly um, 
film noir uh, or um, neo noir in that you know it's made after the period noir films were made in, um, and it's obviously neo noir in terms of some of the thematic things it tackles, outright sex, race, but in terms of formalism, like it really is uh, very similar to some of the the editing techniques you would have seen in a traditional noir, like in the actual period. There's a lot of soft dissolves and fades, and and even the cadence uh, and usage of Denzel's voiceover is, is very reminiscent of the way film noir was made at the time in the 40s, 50s, and very uh, almost into the 60s. Um, so I was really uh, enamored with that. Um, but overall, it's just really great. The mystery's fun. Um, it, it's fairly easy figured out once all the pieces are on the table. Like as soon as you, there, there's a piece of information that um, doesn't quite make everything fit, but you've pretty well got everything together by before that point. Um, but it's a very solid mystery all around. Um, it, it does make me sad that uh, this, this franchise didn't take off. Um, if you're not aware, devil in blue dress is based on the first in a series of novels by Walter Mosley um, that follow this character, easy Rollins, a devil in a blue dress is like, you know, the origin story about how he ended up becoming a P.I. And I am uh, so sad we didn't get a series of movies directed by Carl Franklin starring Denzel Washington where he played uh, Easy Rollins because Easy's such a good character. He's such a good character. Uh, and so is Mouse. I mean, uh, we haven't even talked about Don Cheadle in this movie <laughs> as Mouse, which is he's so good. He is. Um, Tom Sizemore, really good bad guy in this. Uh, Jennifer Beals, really good uh, femme fatale. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Um I, I will say the one thing that, that did trouble me, um, the, the the inciting incident in this movie, this isn't too spoilery, um, is a, a woman that Easy sleeps with um, ends up dead, uh, and she is black. And, and I was like, well, we, we just killed the, the one black lady in this, uh, Coretta? We just, we're just going to kill the, the, the one black female character in this movie. But the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, I mean, what Mosley was doing in the book and what Carl Franklin seems to be doing here is – he is trying to take basically all the components of a traditional noir and plug it into a black community. And the beautiful dead white woman is part of traditional film noir. And, and while that in and of itself is a, is a somewhat problematic trope, uh, I, I understand the impetus to be like, well, we never got to tell our version of that story. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's okay. You know, not God, that's fucking my job to be the arbiter of what is and isn't okay. But you know, I, it, it is problematic, but I'm not troubled by it like like I was initially. I guess is a better way to put it. Um, so again, it makes sense. And, and there are the revelations later on that kind of further problematize it again. We might get into that when we go into analysis. But uh, uh, a, a very strong film. Uh, good dialogue. Um, good action when there is action. Good pacing. Uh, big fan. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mister Dalton Stewart, Mister Arthur Gordon. Did you like this movie? Yeah, I thought it was really solid. Uh, oh, good. I was scared we brought you back for one you hated. No, I hated this one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, you know, I, this is one I remember very faintly being, I think, on premium cable, mm-hmm. maybe like Stars or something, Encore, uh, when I was younger. And I remember seeing it on TV but never watching it, and it kind of turned me off the, the period thing at the time. And uh, But visiting it now, I think it's really solid. Uh, I, I, li- I like Denzel. He's so good. I don't care what he's in. I like him. No, he's mm-hmm. he's amazing. He's um, just so good. Every little yeah. thing he does is, is so wonderful. So much charisma. So much energy. And, and, well, and just so many like really small choices. Yeah, yeah. Like in, in very specific like vocal yeah. mannerisms. Yeah, and he's he's just so talented. And so I think it's really solid construction. I think uh, Franklin does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it is like you mentioned, Dalton. It is so kind of old fashioned in the way it's put together. Yeah. And even the script, it reminds me of something Billy Wilder would do. The the kind of fast talk. Uh, that we've got going on there, and, and it's there's a speed limit in the state, Mister. <laughs> uh, and I, and I like kind of the the way they're playing with the, you know, setting this in a black community. I think is really interesting choice, yeah. especially with I mean, there are a lot of different ramifications as far as the law mm-hmm. are concerned, and that yeah, yeah well, a whole and, other and even um, just the fact that uh, Easy is a black man who owns his own house; he doesn't rent. Yeah, like just that fact, and then going to Compton and seeing you know Compton is you know because of um, you know. The late '80s and '90s, culturally, um, obviously, socially, um, because of the crack wars, but you know, because of social, uh, p- p- culturally, because of you know, uh, NWA and uh, films like Boys in the Hood. You know, Compton is, is thought of as uh, you know a, a very dangerous neighborhood, but I mean, it's just you know, single family homes. It's yeah. it's it's a suburb. Yeah. It is a suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah, and you know, to get to remind the world, like, hey, you know. It, it, Compton was just like any other neighborhood. Like, you know, just there was some bad stuff going on for about, you know, 30 years. But 
it's just any old neighborhood. Yeah. And I, I really, I thought that was a nice touch to just the fact that there are some characters that live in Compton. Yeah. And I, I just, I like this character and I, I like Easy and I like the way this kind of progresses. I think it moves at a good clip. I think there's a whole new energy uh, that arrives when Mouse shows up in Don Cheadle and he's so good here. He's out the box. You know exactly who he is, what he's about, and I dig that about him. And so he's a fun kind of sidekick for Easy and a good parallel between these two guys. He's great. And so overall, yeah, I think it's it's a really fun movie. It's really solid. I I, I approve of this choice. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Well, Arthur Gordon. What are your thoughts, bud? I liked it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I was reading some other reviews and trying to kind of formulate my thoughts. And I think one thing that is clear is I find my I found myself not caring that much about the mystery. Mm-hmm. Not because it was uninteresting, but it is it very much it's fairly standard. standard noir trope kind of thing. There's a missing tame. Yeah, the, and so they're just doing that sort of thing. This guy finds himself in an investigation um, amateurly, and eventually he'll become a private investigator in the course of the novels. But I love a move. I love a movie about the '40s more than I do a movie made in the '40s because those exactly movies are in love with the '40s. Yeah, and there's there's something that happens in set design, in the choice of props and of vehicles and of clothing and those kind of things that are really trying very hard to highlight that moment in a way that you might sort of miss when there are. Just some, some more mundane choices mm-hmm. uh, that are being made in a Billy Wilder film or a Howard Hawks film or a John Huston film of the same period. And so there's something that's going on there that I very much like. I really do like uh, Tak Fujimoto's uh, choices as uh, far he's as so good. Yeah, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he's definitely got a talent, and his use of color noir, you know, sort of chiascuro, is, is really kind of brilliant. And so I love that, love the music, uh, and Denzel's performance, Don, uh, Don Cheadle's performance are all just, you know, absolutely fantastic as we've already mentioned uh thus far but though the way that it's able to depict the city and the, the uses of voiceover that i think are very unique uh to this particular mode of storytelling i think is just excellent stuff so i had a lot of fun with it but i did find myself sort of just okay what which, which one of the particular you know paint by numbers are we going to paint in terms of just what's going to happen next so who's going to turn on who who's going to happen you know what's going to happen there i was very pleasantly surprised about one thing because i did kind of expect a little misogyny you know just based on the title that she is going to be a devil in a blue dress mm-hmm. and that uh somehow jessica beals was going to turn out a much more sinister way than she did i don't think that's too spoilery to say no i don't think so and yeah and i appreciated that as well yeah and so, but I, I was sort of waiting for that to turn at some point, more of a Faye Dunaway kind of turn, uh, like Chinatown. And so, this is a film, and uh, the neo noir stuff, I guess we're going to categorize it. There are neo noirs, which are the new noirs of right now. Yeah. And then there's something like a retro noir. And that's what this feels more like. It's a 90s movie that's set in the 40s, as opposed to uh, a, a very much it's kind like of a, a deconstructionist noir. Or a collateral kind of noir. That kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it, it does that stuff. Things like, well, like, thing like L.A. Confidential, which is intentionally trying to say something about that time period. Yes. Yeah. And so I dig that, and it's a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I also approve of this message. So there you go, dear listener. You hear our biases, and they are generally pro towards the film Devil in a Blue Dress. But we are having this conversation right now. Dalton and I are doing this all the time. I'm so glad Arthur's here so I have someone else to talk to because I have no other friends at all. And, yep, you're stuck with me, baby. True story. It's it's very, very true and very sad, really. Uh, but we do want this conversation to branch out, to branch forth, forward, into the interwebs via social media means. Dalton, can you say a word or two about all of that? I'll say a word or three. You can find us on uh, Facebook.com. That's Facebook.com forward slash GTM. Um, you can engage with us uh, much more directly on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, and both of those are for all things uh, good trash content. Well, we, you know, it's mostly just been this show for a while, but uh, this last week, Caleb Masters just started back up the cast Beyond the Wall, his weekly discussion of the ongoing season of Game of Thrones. So there's some other content uh, coming up right now, and uh, we, we do our best to make all of that presented to you on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, we're a little less regular on that, but um, we do do our best to make sure you're aware of what's what's happening, what's popping off. So again, that's facebook.com forward slash GTM and twitter.com un- uh, at good underscore trash. Uh, and then, of course, as you've heard on literally every podcast you've ever put in your, your ear holes, um, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review and subscribe to this show on whatever your preferred uh, delivery format is, be that iTunes or Stitcher Radio or what have you. 
As I expected, that took more than three words. <laughs> well, you know, there is a bit of information to go over. You don't have to bring in that I'm a notable talker. Well, shocking no one. I think it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> and we're back, dear listener. In this week's game, we've given it a name, and the name is Neo Noir Pitchman. Uh, that's right. Neo Noir Pitchman brought to you by. A devil in a blue dress, devil in a blue dress. The pitch here is that it's uh, it's a Sam Spade type story, but instead of a white dude, it's fucking Denzel Washington. Isn't that cool? And it is. It is indeed. The voice became something very different by the end. It did. Something happened there. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Yeah, that's all right. I'm still proud of you. So yeah, it's going to be one of those games, instead of where we list movies that we like related to the film we watch, it's going to be one of those games where we try to figure out what the, the, the kind of the really cool ephemeral log line of this movie is and, and find other films, the hypothetical films that we could fit into that. So uh, this obviously is, you know, a typical film noir, uh, film noir tropes, but set in a black community with a black private investigator and how that uh, complicates his navigation of the, uh, the law enforcement agencies. So we're going to take that idea and like, okay, let's find something else that relates to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I don't know. Do we have a volunteer to go first or shall I just pick? Um, Arthur, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Not a problem. All right. <laughs> he gestured with like a, oh, whatever. I've got a few ideas floating <laughs> around in my head. He, he will hit us with one. Okay, the first one I want to pitch is I think that the underlying story of Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. would be ideal for a film noir. The death of the father. So, the, something the more serious, element. though. Yeah. Yeah, a little less uh, pulpy. Yeah, I think you could do some really fun stuff there. And, you know, holding on to the reveal of who killed Jax's father, mm-hmm. you know, through a line. And that's kind of the big mystery uh, through the film uh, would be a lot of fun. Plus, there's that element of the, the crime, the running, dr- uh, running guns and drugs. Further embrace that Hamlet aspect of yeah. it, maybe, and condense it into two hours. Yeah. Maybe two. Maybe I could see it going 2.15, not feeling too long. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think LA Confidential is like 2.10. Yeah, nice Guys was pretty long, so you, I, I could yeah. see it going a little longer. I yeah. think it would be fun. I like I that I think it would be good. And that's another, you're kind of exploring the same kind of yeah. ideas, the American dream and the community. And so I think it would be a, a good yeah. uh, way to involve that. Uh, well, Dustin, what's uh, what's what's the first one that comes to mind for you? Uh, numero uno for me is going to be it's going to be a Southside Los Angeles uh, film noir story mm-hmm. where it is a non-professional investigator okay. who gets thrown into investigation. But I'm thinking really very much in that sort of a Chicano Latino community. Okay, there yeah. where it's a young guy and he is not capable. He's not necessarily uh, a, a person who is uh, known for his you know uh, efficient distribution of violence and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But he has someone he needs to find and he has to go through several different gangs and several different levels of just what's happening and also some you know corporate or corporate political corruption kind of stuff going on but very much through the lens of say the LA Kings or something like that I like that a lot I, I was thinking something um you know let's let's get out of crime exclusively and I was trying to think of okay what would that look like what's, what's something that's not getting enough coverage uh, and then I remember that there's this really dumb uh steven skull movie I, I think it's fire down below or glimmer man i can't remember which uh, i think it's fire down below where he plays like an epa guy yes. like wait what's the serious version of that look like uh where we're somebody is actually trying to you know uh trying to blow the lid on fracking or you know something or, or something like or the lead in flint michigan yeah or something like that so know. a john grisham novel no, well, no. With more guns, there's no dead girls. There's there's no dead or uh, mistreated women in this. Maybe, uh, uh, but something like that. No, maybe no gunplay. Because I, I feel like sometimes film noirs, like when there's no gunplay, can be really interesting. Obviously, there was always the threat of violence being done to you. Yeah. But when your protagonist is not capable of doing violence back, I think those in film noirs are very interesting. Uh, and you get a handful of those yeah. where the protagonist is not, you know, equipped to do the violence that the 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 dastardly doers would send upon them. So I think something like that in that world of, you know, environmental justice might be very interesting. Uh, Arthur, what's, did you have any other ones come to mind? Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking uh, this is kind of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit-esque uh, type film. Yes. A little darker. Uh, but it's set in the universe of a District 9-style world where, you know, or Men in Black, where aliens and uh, humans live together. Yeah, kind of an alienation type yeah. thing. Uh, and, you know, an alien has died. And uh, the human has to kind of figure out what's going on mm-hmm. uh, in this world. I think that'd be just a fun and, and dive into the world of the aliens yeah. as an outsider. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it'd be a fun time. Or I, and again, there, there's a couple of different ways you could go with yeah. that. Like, where the aliens fit in the social hierarchy? Are yeah. they actually a little bit higher up? Did we get colonized, or yeah. are they refugees? You know, there's a couple of different ways to navigate that. I think yeah. that would be really interesting. 
Uh, Dustin, uh, do you have any other ideas? Yeah, Chinatown without white people. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I was thinking about that too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I want a kung fu movie. You want to do like a New York or? Uh, yeah, like a New York or San Francisco. San Francisco, uh, kind of, okay. kind of Chinatown, kind of situation. And again, just uh, the same sort of standard film noir. I don't want a professional investigator. I don't want a guy that's been in the, the habit of taking dirty pictures of you know guys cheating on their wives. I think you're kind of pitching what uh, Bruce Lee envisioned when he first pitched the show that. Um, May or may not have been ripped off to become Kung Fu. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, Kung Fu was definitely going to be more of more a of a Western. Piece, but I more think of a Western, yeah. there was a. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember hearing that Bruce Lee was trying to develop something that was kind of a film noir thing, uh, a film noir Kung Fu hybrid set in Chinatown, San Francisco, in like the the early 1900s. Yeah, I would want to. I would definitely want to keep it in the 40s. I think that entire era would be mm. just really, really fun for us. So I do want it to be in retro noir in that way. But again, just uh, fighting the, those uh, forces of racism, those uh, systemic forces that are at work there, and that this young person gets themselves embroiled. And I don't care which gender this particular investigator happens to mm-hmm. be. And that there is murder, and there are also fisticuffs. That yeah, happen. and that's what I was about to ask. How how are we going to lean into that now? Are we are we picturing kind of like a uh, more of like a real stark and lean, like Jason Bourne type fight, or I mean, I'm obviously assuming there's going to be some wushu, but in terms of photography, are we thinking something like that? Are we thinking more gung ho, like something like the Raid, or what? We're, uh, we're... I think the Raid would probably be what I want to go. With, you yeah. you want to lean a little bit more into that fight choreography? Absolutely, yeah. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into that's that. what I want. Uh, the Raid too has some elements of that that are kind of interesting. They do try to turn it into more of a, a departed Godfather type movie. Um, it's not always super successful, but it's a really great idea, and I mean. As somebody who loves that sort of thing, it's fun to see somebody try it. Um, I was actually thinking uh, something um, set in the 70s, maybe, uh, you know, focusing on the Lakota Sioux reservations uh, in uh, the Dakotas and, you know, the the uh, Native Pride movement that was going around around then, some of the standoffs that were had with federal agents. I actually think there might have been a movie in development at one point about the, the standoff at, um, oh, God, I forgot where it was. I feel really bad. Um, it's not it's not in my brain right now, and I feel really terrible, but uh, uh, there was uh, quite a few people uh, got killed um, on both sides, and um, I, I think a story like that might be interesting. And um, It doesn't have to be a historical thing, though. It could be fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think, obviously, it would be very important to have a lot of Native voices involved in something like that, but um, there, there was a, a graphic novel that tried to get at the, something like this called Scalped. I say graphic novel, a series of comic books. I read it in the trade paperbacks, uh, and I read the first couple, um, and I'm feel like, as I recall, there might not have been enough Native voices really involved in the writing of it. Um, it was interesting, though. But something like that might be really cool. Yeah, okay. Sounds very, very good. Uh, do you have any more, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Yeah, I've got one more. This is completely kind of against the grain. But I really like that idea of uh, maybe the Jessica Jones or the, uh, I can't think of his name, it was Gosling's character in The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. But doing a really in-depth character study about this a really sad person yeah yeah this private eye who really has nothing left and it's more of a just a day in the life or a week in the life there's no case there's no mystery it's just kind of a yeah. very uh dark kind of study about this character Maybe if there like, is it's like something super simple it's just yeah. like going to take pictures of a cheating yeah. husband yeah nothing like crazy or it's you know, maybe a night of you know just watching a, a target you know He's just oh, in the and car. just like how boring and yeah. like introspective that is. Yeah. Oh man, that's really maybe good. some flashbacks, you know, kind of. Yeah. Things, but th- maybe like, there's a kid and there's a rocky relationship. I'm, I'm picturing something like Locke with Tom Hardy, where he's like, yeah, take a lot of phone calls while he's yeah. sitting outside this dude's like hotel room. Yeah. Oh, I think that'd be a fun kind of twist go. on the t- on the on the uh, the mode, the genre. I'm there for that. Excellent, excellent. I have one last pick myself, and that is it's going to be set in Chile. And um, I want to do, like, 1989-ish, mm-hmm. just post-Pinochet. And there are many, many, many thousands of people that were disappeared under the regime. And as somebody who's been hired to find a group of people. And, I, you know, whether or not they actually are still living and imprisoned or if they find out that they're dead at the end, that doesn't really matter to me as much. But the, just the investigation into what's been going on and how desperately some people who are still powerful in the government want to keep that stuff covered up. And and it is just a, a one man's investigation, just trying to find the truth and find this, you know, group of people or particular person uh, amongst them. I, I just had an idea that um, that occurred to me while you were talking about that with Chile. I was thinking something maybe uh, kind of a 
a swapped dynamic uh, Sicario or something like that where it is much more focused. And I think um, the FX series, The Bridge, kind of gets a little bit more balanced to, to the, uh, the Mexican side of the border. Uh, but maybe something that is much more specifically focused on the Mexican side of the border and, like, navigating the American side of the criminal justice system and its its inherent corruption. Um, it's, it's, like, less on-the-surface corruption. Uh, maybe something like that would be really interesting. Um, uh, but I feel like uh, – I, I don't know where it would be because I feel like uh, El Paso and uh, uh, Ciudad Juarez is kind of, like, a little – I don't know, maybe a little played out at this point just because so many things have done – like, again, the bridge on FX and Sicario and uh, a lot of other notable things. So I wonder – um, if, if that's too done to death at this point, maybe something in uh, California, you know, the San Diego side, uh, the border, I forget the, the city on the other side of that is. Um, that's not Juarez, is it? I have no, no Juarez idea. is in Texas. Um, that's not um, Tijuana, is it? Geography was 20 years ago. All right. Well, anyway, it's something along those lines I think would be really interesting. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, there is some great gameplay for you all there, dear listener, and we'd like to hear your pitches for Neo-Noirs. You play the game Neo-Noir Pitchman, and you can send your answers uh, via Twitter or Facebook, and we would love to hear them all in response to either the main tweets or uh, Facebook posts about the show or just at random to us here at the show. We would love to hear that information. But enough of this foolishness. It's time to get down to business. And that business is, as always, dear listener, analysis. And I'm very, very excited to be talking analysis with these two dapper gentlemen. Uh, Arthur, I'm going to go and throw to you first because, you know, you are here and you're back and we're so excited to see you. What would you like to talk about with regard to Devil in a Blue Dress? Oh, well, one of the – and they kind of play together because it's – both the points are, you know, one is kind of essentially about the mode itself and the techniques being used. Uh, But that also plays in the idea of the American dream, and I think that noir always kind of – fiddled with that idea of the American dream. Uh, but the first thing I thought about when we're watching this is a lot of those expressionist techniques that are being used. And Dalton mentioned, of course, the uh, those kind of editing uh, tricks and the aesthetics being used that uh, reflect uh, the noir of the 40s. Um, but I'm thinking a lot of those expressionist techniques, a lot of the shadows, but also we've got that, uh, we got the swirling faces kind of going around, which really reveals the paranoia uh, and kind of the... Uh, down, downward spiral of our characters. He's getting mixed up into this world. And I really like that use. It's a really nice callback. I think a lot about Hitchcock and what we're seeing there, Lady Vanishes and things like that. Uh, where we've, Again, we've got that mystery of you know this, this disappearance or what's going on. We're not sure. And there's this uncertainty uh, that Denzel's playing out. And so I think we see that technique a couple of times in the film uh, where they do the kind of swirling camera and the faces coming at him and the different sounds and sights. And I think it's a great tool that's being used, and it's so simple. And it's, I mean, it's tracing that back to, uh, I think, Caligari and things like that. Yeah, that, those uh, German expressionist yeah. elements that like were mm-hmm. so heavy in early film noir, for sure. And so I, I love seeing those kind of elements being used, and, and they're a great way to show exposition of a character's journey and what they're going through without having to exactly tell us or exactly show us. It's just a quick... A uh, little trick, and I, I really appreciated that about the film and what he's, uh, what Franklin's doing there with the language of film and the language of mode and genre, uh, in shaping his characters and his story. An additional observation yeah. I have regarding that is that there is a way in which uh, we see Easy get more and more boxed in up until about midway through the second yeah. act. Like, there's a certain claustrophobia that happens. Yeah. That the, the, the scenes and the shots... That's tend, something I want to talk about yeah, from, tend, a, from a different point of view. Yeah, yeah they, they, there's they, a very much a change in dynamic. It, yeah. get, it gets open, and then it closes down, and then by the time there's a final shootout, it is more open. He's outside of the building because he does have Joffe, and he does have a way out, but it's still not quite as it freed up. He's, he's, he's tucking yeah. trees at that point. And then the, the movie really doesn't allow itself to breathe again on the front porch like it does yeah. until... Until the very, very end. So, I, I yeah, that's yeah. definitely a, a, a form of expressionism. Yeah. You know, there. the, there's something really special to me about the voiceover in this film. And I know we mentioned that a little bit earlier. But, um, you know, the the work that um, uh, Denzel and Carl Franklin did in developing Easy as a character with the screen, the way Denzel delivers that voiceover is just so spot on pitch perfect. There's nothing, you know, winking or there's nothing, you know, kind of, you know, subversive or, you know, there, there's there's it's not really... 
trying to do anything with the voiceover that you'd get in a film yeah. noir. It's not trying yeah. to comment on it. It's just trying to replicate it. And it does yeah. so, I think, really, really specially. Yeah. And, and it's a voice that's very much its own. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciated that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about um, is uh, the, the code switching that we see in this film, the way in which Easy navigates um, you know, the, the, the black and white communities he moves yeah. through in this film. It was really great to like, Denzel makes these really great acting choices yeah. when he's um, interacting and speaking with white people. And then, you know, he's very different when he's interacting with um, black people he doesn't know. And then people who are his yeah. friends. Uh, and, and it's very interesting how that happens. And then as we move later into the film, as Dustin mentioned, there's a claustrophobia to the shots. There is an oppression to his, his conversations with white people, you know, the power dynamic is very much not on his side for obvious reasons because it's, you know, 1940 or 1948. Um, but around that same time that the camera space has opened up and the first time I noticed it was when he goes to Todd Carter's house, um, the, 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 um, the framing gets a lot wider. Uh, the spaces are more open. As he's moving through this place, he, he is like, you know what? Nope, done. I'm done. Fuck it. I have had it with you white people. What the hell is going on here? Somebody's going to clue me in. And somebody's going to pay me because this is fucking ridiculous. Um, and it, it's a really great just shift in the dynamic of, of Easy. And he's like, nope, I'm done with this. Uh, even the interaction he has with the cops later on after that, that where he's a much more in, instead of like going with them, he's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. We're going to figure something out here because I'm not going with you. Uh, and I just thought that was really interesting the way that uh, the, the film uh, interrogates race relations in the you know, 40s Los Angeles and in the, in the way in which easy uh, moves through those worlds well yeah and i think the voiceover itself is is a really key thing to focus in on when we're talking about the way that it does do this because what it does and I, i'm doing a little post-colonial theory right now okay uh there's, there's there's two major sort of heads to know is edward saeed and then there's another and i'm going to try to pronounce his name right now this is a book and a set of uh, essays that i've read but i've never actually been taught these writers in class so i've never heard an educated person say their names out loud which is sad but uh Gyatri spivak is what i want to say is the is the last name particularly spivak because uh it talks about the uh the idea of the subaltern now, i've mentioned the subaltern mm -hmm. before you have the oppressed person and how the subaltern is not allowed to speak that they are made voiceless and part of what's going on here with mosley's work in the novel itself and also with the use of voiceover uh through uh the direction and writing of carl franklin is that we are given voice to what's going on inside of easy rollins's head mm -hmm. and so he is being given voice this particular experience Experience is being given voice, and it's being voiced throughout. And of course, uh, more, more. Uh, I read a little bit about the novel, uh, just checking it out here and there online. And there's quite a bit of Easy talking to Easy uh, throughout. There's a, there's a voice that speaks to Easy mm -hmm. and tells him that this is a bad idea. You easy, what are you doing, man? Yeah, what are you, yeah, exactly. Like like most of us talk to ourselves yeah. anyway. And so, but there's a, there's a whole idea that there there is the voice of the self itself that is also which is being brought forth. But more generally, the voice of that truest self. But more broadly, though, we are seeing that this voice is happening, that these uh, groups of people who are typically voiceless in typical film wars, there is always a smoky jazz bar that is a speakeasy of some sort in a film noir that you're, you're only allowed to get into if you happen to know the right people. And it is full of African-Americans who say very, very little unless you happen to be the waiter or you happen to be the girl on stage singing. And what this does is it gives voice to Easy, but not just to Easy, to, to other people who are just patrons in the bar, to other people who could be uh, members of the investigation. People that know Easy. Yeah, people just know Easy, yeah. And so there, there's, a, there's a great way in which uh, what this particular kind of noir twist does is it voices those voiceless people. It does do something about that subaltern state. And so I think post-colonial theory, strangely, um, has a real, real place uh, in any conversation about this film and so that's that was a big observation i wanted to bring today this doesn't really uh, play into anything we've talked about but it was just something i was thinking about that uh, i wanted to, to mention there's a really beautiful tracking shot that kind of moves through the neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, that this bar is in um and it kind of moves through different groups of people of different ethnicities and you know different clubs of different you know uh, you know sort of milieus uh and it's just really great to kind of like establish like the world that easy lives in uh the, not, again, it related to anything at all, but uh, it's just a really beautiful moment that I wanted to highlight real briefly. Um, I, I was interested in uh, what you had to say about the subaltern and the, the way that language works, that, and how that kind of uh, fits into the, the code switching that Easy does. Because, mm -hmm. again, I, I think uh, just the, the, 
dialect choices and you know uh, tone of voice choices that Denzel makes, I think, are, are really interesting in navigating something like that. When he kind of becomes a bit more silent w- when he's in police custody as mm-hmm. well. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a s- yeah. there's a massive shift there, and that 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 sort of exemplifies some of what's going on there. And I think it's a huge testament to the script and what Franklin's written, and and uh, possibly the uh, source material which I haven't read. Mm-hmm. I hear uh, they're quite good. Yeah. I'd be interested to uh, to read them, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just it's great character work and acting from Denzel. But there's also great uh, a c- great character being developed here in this idea that he is so crafty that he knows exactly as he's going on the fly. He's learning very quickly how to play the pieces and learn. And he eventually, you know, when he goes, he makes that move to go see the other political candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those when he becomes bolder in his in his movement, I mean, it's very ballsy for him as a African American mm-hmm. to just go out uh, and see this mayoral yeah. candidate. He's just like, hey, you and me, we're talking. And to see that kind of boldness as he grows, and he's yeah. you know he's tired of being beat down by uh, Tom Sizemore's character. Mm-hmm. And he's you know he's not going to take it anymore. And it's it's just a I think it's a solid script to see that kind of character develop. Absolutely, that, that wiliness assert itself uh, throughout the the film, and it's yeah, it's solid. One of the things that I think... Oh, go ahead, Dustin. I'm sorry. I, I, well, I mean, I just want to address the biggie on the eye chart. We're talking about Jennifer Beals? Jennifer Beals. I was too. Okay, okay. so that works out. Yeah, so I want to, she, she like kind of exemplifies everything we've been talking about, this navigating through different worlds, the twist of the film. Uh, Jennifer Beals is very light-skinned, but her, her I believe her father was uh, African-American. Uh, in the film, her mother was Creole, mm-hmm. uh, and her dad was white. Um, so she's been passing as white in Los Angeles and almost got engaged to a guy that was running for mayor. A white guy, obviously, that was running for mayor. Um, can I just say... It's, oh, it's such a good... Uh, can I just say, yeah. it is just as scandalous in this world to be engaged to a person of mixed race as it is to have molested children. children. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. That I, I, just, it's yeah. I just want to stand in horror and Yeah, it's awe. absolutely awful. Yeah, It's absolutely insane, and I think... That's such a good bit of the, you know the, the plotting of the story on the part of uh, I mean assume presumably this is a plot point in um, Walter Mosley's novel. Um, it, it's such a good touch to just be like, hey, don't forget just how criminal they made being black in 1948. Don't forget they made it a, a crime. And I grew up in a culture, and I, I don't know if I talked about this much with when we did People's History. I think we did a little bit, but yeah. I grew up in a culture. I mean. To this day, it's it is it is not a thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, you can you can marry a Native American, you can marry Hispanic, you don't marry black. Wow, and that's 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 a cultural thing. Where where is that in um, Louisiana, South Louisiana? Of where you were from originally? Yeah, Yeah, where my dad's from. Okay, I mean, yeah, my my dad found very very emphatically down on anybody who was in a mixed relationship of that nature. Yikes. He married a Native American. I mean, he, when my my you know my mom, my adopted mom, she's Native American, mm-hmm. but you know that's you know that's fine. She's light enough, but you know if it's wow, that's wild. Yeah, man. and so there's I mean there's still a thing, and there's still pockets where that's a thing. You know, where you'll you know you'll wind up uh, on the wrong side of the fence with certain people if you. Yeah, that's you know. terrifying, and, and yeah. I th- I think that was what works so well about it is like not only reminding you like how criminal it is is. The lie that uh, that white society has told Jennifer Beale's character, and I can't for life me remember her character's name. Um, Daphne Monet. Uh, well, I can't remember her real name, but yeah, Daphne Monet, or her the the name that she actually her oh, birth Ruby. name, Ruby something. Yeah, but um, just like the the lie that she's she bought the lie that they sold yeah. her that if she did all if she followed all of their rules if she looked enough like them if she acted enough like them that she would get to, you know, transcend things and that her love, her love that she felt was pure would be more important than anything. And she realizes, no, the guy that said he loves her doesn't. If he really loved her, he wouldn't be doing this. But I think that's part of the larger societal play here because exactly. we're talking about buying into the American dream. Yeah. That's what yeah. Denzel's chasing, right? Yeah. He, he owns his own house, and that's such a huge thing, especially in the 40s when yeah. the American dream is, you know, alive and pulsing. I mean, yeah, they, they, and they even kind of uh, not directly but they addressed redlining that was going on with yeah. how hard it is for, for uh, black people in Los Angeles to buy houses yeah. at this time um, yeah man it's it's so good and I think you're right I think it does circle back to that central theme like that is the lie that Jennifer Beale has been sold by America uh, and, and Denzel's is as a man, you know, with the intersectionality of, of race and gender he actually does get a little bit more social equity than she does yeah um, but if she can continue to pass as a white woman, she's got social equity that he doesn't have. Yes. As soon as somebody ruins her ability to pass, she's in trouble. Yep. And it's so it, it's such a fascinating way to – in a purely kind of genre, like pulpy, yeah. 
not overly serious film to really engage with these things on a, on a background level and say like we don't need to talk about this yeah. this is the subtext because it is every second of every day of these characters lives yeah and i think that's what's so great about this mode of this genre of, of noir is that it always was about looking at the underbelly it's about what's on the other side of the darkness uh you know everything wanted to paint thing, you know musicals or comedies it was to paint things so picturesque and perfect about life mm-hmm. uh, but noir was there to shake that up uh, and so that's what I enjoy about this movie. And I think, you know, if, I think this has more impact if it comes out today than it does in 95. Oh, oh absolutely. Especially yeah. based the police on violence. that. And we're talking about living in 2017 where the president won based on a platform of yeah. bringing back the American dream. And I think that in of itself speaks highly to this, what this film is saying. And it's probably a little ahead of its time insofar as predicting the cultural climate. You know, 95, obviously race is still huge. But in yeah. 2017, things well, are I, on a whole different level. Well, and I think, but in, I mean, 95, they're just coming off. I mean, OJ's probably still on trial at yeah. that point when this movie gets released. So it's definitely happening. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, it's shocking to, to be reminded of how little has changed in almost 20, over 20 years. I, I think I'd want to echo, first of all, absolutely. I think it speaks better now than it did in 96. I think we're more ready for the conversation. Five. I think uh, uh, 95, excuse me. And, and, and it's much more ready, I think, uh, for this thing to be successful as a franchise. I think we'd be looking at a whole other world if this film dropped right now. I think you're right. I think it's because of the world we're living in, the, the way um, franchises work now. I think if this movie's even a you know moderate hit, it gets a sequel. Yeah. Um, and another brilliant thing about the movie, though, that it does in terms of film noir tropiness is the femme fatale. Mm-hmm. That, that typically what you have is the woman that you're searching for, she is something of a spider lady. That mm. there is definitely uh, some real menace and danger to this person. And what happens here is the much more rare version of the woman of the film noir, which is the Beatrice kind of lady, mm-hmm. right? Who is really, there's nothing wrong with Ruby. Ruby's an entirely wholesome person. She is passionate. Passing off, you know, as not herself in order to succeed, but I don't begrudge her that in any way. I begrudge a system in which she has to do that, and I don't think that's okay. But the the movie does not do the thing, again, the way I mentioned in my review, that when I saw the title, Devil in a Blue Dress, I thought, oh, Ava Green, you know, the, the, mm. uh, Eva Gardner, excuse me. That, that That's what I expected. Well, Ava Green, too. Yeah, Ava either Green, one. Either yeah. one, yeah, modern or, 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 or of the period, yeah. That's what I expected. I was like, oh, we're going to do this now, are we? And they do don't and i love that about it because she really is a victim and what happens and what society has done it has made her very identity diabolical it has equated her with devilishness because she is doing something to get ahead and succeed in a society that's stacked up against her and it's not the society that becomes diabolical it's not the society that becomes something infernal rather it is the person who would dare raise their hand against the system and i think that's just a really kind of brilliant way to write that indictment and so that's ah, oh, it's just good stuff, man. I, I this movie's a lot of fun. It's yeah, I'm 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 into it big there's, time. There's a whole lot going on with it. But we come now to the point of the show where we must render a verdict regarding Devil in a Blue Dress. And so the real question is: Now we like this movie, but do we buy it? Does it go on the shelf, or rather, does it go in the trash? And then what else? Or instead, Dalton Stewart, I ask you: Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I'm so glad we get to shelf something. It's been so long. Yeah, this is very shelfable. Uh, and I think that might honestly be helped by the fact this movie is hard to find. It is not streaming in a lot of places. It's available for rental on some very limited platforms. It's you know it's not one of those movies that's available on every single rental service. It, it is kind of hard to find. I had to go. We had to rent it on Vudu, which is you know very rare. I think it might have been on iTunes too. But that was that was the only places it was available. Um, which was was very surprising. So yeah, I think it's worth shelving for that reason uh, alone. But everything we've talked about, I mean, all all these uh, interesting things that it's able to navigate in a time, you know, in in a ways that are often ahead of its time. I mean, it, it is absolutely shelfable. It's a great Denzel. Um, Carl Franklin's great. Uh, to pair with it, I would recommend another Denzel Washington Carl Franklin uh, reteaming um, out of time, uh, which is just. Uh, a very similar film that's kind of doing very similar things. It's more of uh, like a, a swampy uh, gothic noir kind of thing, and it's it's much more you know it's set it's contemporarily set, uh, but it's definitely you know a, a similar kind of film. It, it's definitely a much more tense film um, because um, uh, Denzel, who plays uh, 
uh, Matt Whitlock, which is another great Denzel character name. I mean, how good is that? Matt Whitlock? Ugh. But he's much more mixed up in the trouble uh, in that film. It's, it's, it's something he's foisted upon himself by not always being a very honest police chief in this, this Florida town. Uh, so that's a great one. And then I'd also recommend uh, the uh, film Keanu with Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele because it navigates a lot of this code-switching thing and it further complicates it by uh, both uh, Key and Peele uh, have a, a parent of one race and a parent of another race. Um, and I, I forget what the, the gender lines on that are, but not that it's, it's relevant. Um, well, I'm sure it's relevant to their lives, but not that it's relevant to the, the, the code-switching that's going on, um, which I think is so cool uh, and just really interesting. Well, to that point, I think even just watching Key and Peele, yeah, just just their because series. that's something. I mean, they're all they engage with yeah. all. Time. It's one of the first sketches. I think it might be the f- yeah. first sketch. Yeah, I'm pretty positive. Um, they, is they that one where the right guy away. is on, on the, the phone? phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he, he changes ex- how he's talking, uh, and then you see the other guy also did the exact yep. same thing, it's and it's beautiful. so good. So yeah, that that's uh, that's something fabulous to pair with. Those are my recommendations. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Store, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, shelf or trash? Else or instead? Uh, I'm going to say shelf. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth uh, picking up and, and putting on the shelf uh, for the reason Dalton mentioned about uh, just obscurity about finding mm-hmm. it. Also, because this is a very interesting point in Denzel's career, because Denzel's definitely flirting with A-list in 95. I'd say, you know, we've got Pelican Brief, we've got Malcolm X, and we've got these movies where he's I, building I think his he's, credibility. I think at that point he has got his foot firmly in. Well, he's like, already won an Oscar at this point. Yeah, yeah he's firmly in, yeah. like, didn't like Denzel, like the A-lister. Yeah, but he's not quite to Denzel the icon yeah. that he gets to in Training Day. I yeah, think. certainly. I think you, I mean, you know, it's ninety-five, two thousand. Yeah. He does remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. Two thousand one, we got Train Day, and boom. And we'd, we would level. be we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, this is something that uh, on the the podcast Denzel Washington is greatest actor of all time. Period. Yeah, uh, with W. Kamau Bill and Kevin Avery. Uh, you know, they, they've split up his career into yeah. the, these epochs, you know, these, these yeah. moments in Denzel that kind of define the sort of films yeah. he was doing. Uh, and, yeah, this is firmly, I think, in that, that A-lister, uh, yeah. not quite into icon and definitely much before we'll get to old man action phase. Uh, and, and so for that reason as well, I think he's doing a much different performance. Mm-hmm. And it may not be much different, but knowing Denzel now and what he was doing then, it's, it's interesting to see, I think. He's, he's so good, though. Uh, but to pair with it... Uh, I, I don't know if Dustin thought this, but the first thing that came to mind, and the book ends with these great scenes of of, of uh, Denzel uh, working in the lawn, and there's a great shot of the green grass and him gardening, mm-hmm. but I thought instantly of Blue Velvet. I did not, but I and agree we, entirely. That's really good. And which, no, again, we've got that what's going on under the surface idea with Blue Velvet, and so I think that pairs well here. Um, I would also say uh, I think you got to check out I, – I think this is a great inverse – um, because we have this uh, kind of middleman who's playing both sides, I think it's a great inverse of a fistful of dollars, uh, which I think yeah. works. Where you have this kind of you know kind of nameless angel showing up to you know play both sides in a different sort of way. Yeah. And, and, and he's a, willing. Where, and he, whereas here, it's you know it's not just some nameless drifter; it's somebody that's very much intertwined in these yeah. communities. Yeah. And so I think there's an interesting uh, interesting uh, di, uh, dichotomy there being mm-hmm. played out. Uh, but uh, finally, I'm going to mention, we, we talked about this as well in, in, in messaging, but I think this pairs greatly with the film that would come out just a couple years later, and that's Fallen, another noir film, a lot of supernatural elements uh, Dustin enjoys quite a bit. Uh, it is fun. Uh, John Goodman's in it, and so that's always a good time. Uh, and so I think that would just be another pairing with Denzel that would uh, bolster this film's uh, fun. It is, it is a good time, and time is always on my side. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Thank you very much for that, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Now, I am also going to say shelf but i'm going to give it a little bit of more of a qualifier than you guys have okay. even though i like the movie a lot but i am just a this nut for film noir and so for me personally i think it's definitely a shelf but i would say this it's good it's i mean it's it's better than good mm-hmm. i don't know that everybody's got to have this one though and that's fair and I, but i think it's it's a movie worth sharing with people because i yeah. think it's a very underseen film yeah no, no, i agree with that i agree with that so i guess it's just a a, a slightly softer shelf is what I would give for it. Um, what else you should watch? Man, go to film noir school is what I want to say. And so we got to see John Huston. You know, we got to see the Howard Hawks. We've got we've got to see those 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 great. We got to see the Big Sleep. You've got to see the Maltese Falcon, and you've got to see a Double Indemnity. Uh, I think if you back to back to back to back that, um, that's a good day for everybody. And so we got some Billy Wilder in there too. So that's what we want, and uh, that's that is the good stuff. Uh, right there, and that you know sort of what it's building on. If you want to throw in Chinatown, I don't like Polanski, and I don't like to recommend him, but 
It is a good movie. It's a good movie, and it does sort of show that retro noir thing that's going on. So I hate this good movie. God damn it! It's fair. It's so much easier with Woody Allen because I actually just don't give a shit about any of his movies. See, I'm almost in the same boat there because I really like his movies and not him. And I, 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 I don't get it. And maybe it's because I didn't really start exploring him until after you know he was already kind of notably dog shit. Mm. Um, but the, you know, films like Manhattan and Annie Hall, it's like, oh, this is just about a dude who wants to fuck young women. Like, uh, who cares? I wouldn't care if this guy already wasn't like notably a creep in real life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's trouble waters with Blansky and Chinatown because Chinatown is a kind of a masterpiece. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so there you go, dear listener. Those are our recommends. We'd like to know your pairings. What cheese would you have with this wine? Do let us know. We would be happy to hear about all of that. Now we need to talk about what we're going to watch next week. Dalton has bothered us enough. Therefore, I'm so excited. We are going to watch The Cell, which Tarsum featured- sings The Cell starring Jennifer Lopez. It's so good. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I I, uh, I watched this movie just for, for no reason other than to watch it, uh, and I got about ten minutes, and I was like, "We got to do this movie for the, shit with the for the podcast. We have to do this movie." And I just texted Dustin, I was like, "We're doing this. We're doing this." Hey Arthur, if you want to come back next week, this is what we're doing. We're doing this. Uh, I have you, either of you seen this movie before? No. I have not. I remember when it came out. I remember all the advertising. I did too. Yeah, for it. I had never seen it. Ninety eight, two thousand, two thousand, two thousand even. Um, and Tarsum, uh, he was going by just Tarsum at this point, but uh, Tarsum Singh, the, the director, did a film called The Fall with Lee Pace a couple yep. years later that I really love. Uh, he's been working more in big Hollywood right now. And Mirror Mirror, of course. Well, that's yeah, that's that's the, the that's post Immortals. That's him transitioning to uh, uh, to the, the big time Hollywood uh, that racket. But uh, this film is just uh, you know a mid budget. It is a studio film. Uh, I think it's New Line, if I remember right. Um, but it's just like a mid a mid budget like the kind of the great kind of like good trash, good trash movie though. that New Line Cinema always did. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. Uh, I think it'll be a good time. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, uh, Mr. Dalton. So there you go. We're going to be taking a look at uh, Cell next week. Take a look at Devil in a Blue Dress. Have a conversation with us via those magical means of social media. We'll keep watching. You keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Good Trash Genrecast. The GTGC is a production of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash Media, go over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music, as always, is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. And our outro music this week is Devil with a Blue Dress On by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wings. Look at my now, here she comes. Wearing a wig hat and shades to match Got a high heel shoes and an alligator hat Wearing a pearl and a diamond ring Got